otherwise on SAFM. A very good day to you, Mzansi. Welcome to Otherwise on SAFM. South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. The show's producer is Hazel Makuzeni, and Leander Mafiane is our technical producer for today. You may reach us on 0892102010, email otherwise at safm.co.za, tweets at otherwise safm or at Shadow Twala. Now, as promised, we've invited clinical and medical psychologist Engeli Brandt back to finish our conversation about the brain. So it's brain matters on the agenda today, how it works and how to keep it healthy. Fibroids are non-cancerous tumors that affect women primarily in the African community. Dr. Gary Sadwatts, specialist in uterine fibroid embolization, explains. And then today was the deadline for a possible entry into the Guinness Book of Records for 21,000 blankets for Madiba Day. Have we reached our, our record? We asked Carolyn Stain, found out 67 blankets for Nelson Mandela Day Goodwill Cup. But first, our lunch bite today, I decided to find quotes on social cohesion. First one is by Lily Cole, and it says, giving triggers social cohesion. It's also the basis of an economy not based on money. Then David Blunkett says, in today's world, learning has become the key to economic prosperity, social cohesion, and personal fulfillment. We can no longer afford to educate the few to think and the many to do understand very well and yet we all carry this thing in our heads and um, we don't know um, how to use it how to look after it and how much we use it and we also started talking about the myths of you know how much of our brain we use and especially the 10 10 um, 10 percent use that we we apparently use and not the rest of it yeah sure that's definitely a myth it started with somebody's misquoted research article and it stayed for years and years, but if your brain doesn't use parts of it, it will definitely not spend energy. It's a very energy-consuming organ, so it, if, if, if there isn't space for anything, it's not working. That's why it's so important to stimulate everything that you, you have there. Let's, let's just recap on what we spoke about last week, uh, what we're dealing with, the front part, the, 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 the different lobes that you, you started yes. talking about. Yes. Just to give us an idea, I mean, you, you made an analogy with the cauliflower. Yes, the cauliflower is about the, the shape of a brain and the, the size as well. It's about 1.4 liters if you could fill it up and the weight of about four cans of Coke. Yeah, that was incredible so, when I heard that because yes. I thought, I don't feel like I'm carrying four, no. four tins of Coke in my <laughs> head. Suspended in the in the fluid around that surrounds the surrounds the brain and there are um, holes in the middle mm-hmm. openings in the middle so that's filled with fluid as well so your brain is quite buoyant and that's why you don't feel it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so our cauliflower if you could imagine having the cauliflower in your hand mm-hmm. with a stem downwards and it is kind of almost divided in four mm-hmm. um, the cauliflower doesn't have folds but your brain has very many deep folds and that's how it extends the, the the surface of the brain so it's very very compact and dense um, if you spray it out I think it's two and a half square meter if you could make it flat it mm-hmm. would be that mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. but you can't walk with that flat thing on your head so it's nicely compact into into a concise and, and solid structure um, the, the different lobes of the brain is distinguished by the, the, there's a couple of bigger folds, deeper folds, and then smaller folds. Mm-hmm. So that's how we can distinguish between frontal, which is the part, um, if you could divide the cauliflower front and back. Mm-hmm. 
slightly bigger front than than back. That would be kind of a frontal lobe. Bigger front than back. Is it? The, the frontal lobe is is bigger. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then on top, on both sides, is the parietal, and then above your ears, more or less, is the temporal. They have to do, temporal has to do with speech and language. That's very briefly um, summarized. Mm-hmm. Um, parietal has to do with integration of your senses and perceptions and everything. And then the occipital lobe has a, is, is at, the, at the very back. We have a rather large occipital lobe, but... Um, if you look at other animals where eyesight is more important, they, the proportion differs. So a mouse mm. has a very big, we have a stalk for our olfactory, our noses. But a mouse has a huge area for a nose because it relies on its, yes. a, a dog has a huge area for the nose. We don't rely on that so much. Um, so that, those are the lobes. And then when we, we, we traditionally we have four lobes, frontal where you're, thinking functions and the things that we are aware of is happening. Our decision making and our planning and coordination of our motor functions getting all your legs and arms to do what you want them to do. Mm-hmm. So that's all the frontal bit. Prefrontal is a very important area and that's the one we said last time that teenagers only fully <laughs> develops at age 25. <laughs> I hope all the moms and dads are listening. Well, I went, I went back and all the teenagers that I've met since I'm telling them that you're yes. <laughs> You don't know what you're doing yet. But they should realize that. And that's this is very sensible for them to, to <laughs> understand this about their own brains. Um, uh, the prefrontal is kind of um, develops later on. It develops over time. And then when you pull away the, uh, it's difficult to describe, but one of the folds, you see the limbic lobe, which is on the inside of the, the other four lobes. So it's, it, does it adjoin all of them? Kind of, yes. And the limbic lobe is where our emotions originate. And then underneath it, there's the, the area where all the affection and behavior is, and the automatic behaviors, things like heartbeats and blinking of eyes, all the things mm. that we don't think of, they happen. Mm. Whether we, we are aware of them or not, they happen. Are we so, able to, to stimulate any part of our brain, you know, consistently to produce uh, certain let's say you want to produce more emotion or you want to or does that happen naturally if if you would expo- if you would sit in front of a television with with high emotional content then you are going to that's stimulate that's a stimulant that's a stimulant. Of your brain mm-hmm. if you do a lot of puzzles then you if you if you engage yourself with a lot of moral dilemmas then you are going to use the frontal lobes the prefrontal lobes a lot more so we can if you say stimulate you mean um you are probing the area so Mm. the growth means and develop means growth in if i say growth i don't mean like new ones originating i mean new connections are made unless we talk of the memory part so if you stimulate then you, you you are pushing it to make more connections with other areas. And the more connected they are in, in meaningful ways, the better you can make an integrated decision. Because it, all, all the other parts are working together yeah. to, to, to give you whatever uh, result you're looking yes. for. Let's talk about memory. And yes. Is that different? How do we stimulate memory? Um, and and can, can one, because I think of people that have memory yeah. loss as yeah. they get older, yeah. uh, yes. what are ways to circumvent that and, and, and not a, let it happen? Um, should it, we need to go very basic. We need to go to things like exercise. And I know exercise is such a cliche. I've just read an article this morning about how 
um, you can keep the area where memories, that, where new memories, that's the area that's going to still grow and develop. Does the rest of the brain not grow after a certain time? It it um, it develops, but it doesn't make new cells. But the, okay. the, the part where memories are made, that's, that's making new things and, um, that kind of behave differently than the rest of the brain. Um, if you exercise, and I, I, I know we exercise because we can understand we are pushing our heart muscle up and down and the muscle is getting stronger and that's why it's a good thing to exercise. But exercise has so much more in it for our brain because we stimulate blood flow so where the blood flow goes into the the brain is very intricate and it's very dependent on a stable environment of blood sugar stable nutrients um stable blood pressure otherwise mm -hmm. it can't do its job it's, it's it's awfully sensitive and it is um it takes priority in in our bodies the 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 body looks after the brain first and then the rest will happen um, so if you exercise, you I thought the body looked after. after the heart first, and then the rest happens, <laughs> which is important. The heart, it, it, it's probably a, a quite general, a dual, a, mm -hmm. um, depending which which what it needs. Okay. Yeah. Um, so increasing you, there are many, very many memory strategies that you can follow if you want to um, increase your skill. Whether you can really prompt something specifically to grow parts of your memory center i think it's probably better to do the sensible things like eating giving that part of your brain what it needs mm -hmm. um exercising increasing your blood flow so that the, the nutrients that you need they can go there and uh, the very important thing your brain makes in response to, i've read an article this morning in response to um, exercise and increase increased blood flow your brain makes growth factors which is like fertilizes to your brain mm -hmm. so it makes brain derived neurotropic factor and another factor that that stimulates blood flow so it can reach where it needs to reach it, it needs to deliver oxygen there otherwise those things don't work and the better you do those things the better you stimulate these parts that needs to grow and put little complex proteins together the better you're going to be off thereafter look at memory strategies and and all of those things. So the blood flow seems to be the most important thing here because it it, it, it just it's, delivers. It's, it's your delivery very, guy who delivers. It's your delivery guy. Yeah. A lot of things comes with it. And it also needs to generate, um, it needs to get rid of the waste products after the brain used nutrients. So you, you need to have the whole system and as well as the cerebrospinal fluid that's connected with the blood flow. You have to get the pressure right there and you don't want to change too much you, you don't want to miss you know you don't want to mess with that what about practice um you know for, for memory again practice yeah. of of reading or of of creating stuff uh, does that help your brain at all when you stay creative and you or you, you read a lot or you yeah do other practices it helps because wherever you form connections you are laying new tracks so then it's like there's like a loop developing mm -hmm. so the one thing can follow it takes a bit of time habits take well the best number that we could give at the moment is 21 days or mm. it depends on mm. which research you read how many how much time it takes to 
develop a good habit. Mm. 21 days is a random number, but a good number. You need to Yeah, do read 21 days. Even self-help books tell you, you know, yeah. if you do something or repeat a sentence or do yeah. something like that, you know, yeah. by 21 yeah. days, then it, 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 it almost settles don't, in. Don't expect wonders before that time. So it's need, you need to stay, motivate yourself to do that for that long. Now, we started talking about yes. foods and, and, uh, and yes. the right foods, and uh, I want us to get to looking after that organ. And, and I yeah. know it's a bit, it, we've just given a, a biology class a bit there this morning. Yeah. But um, how do we look after it? And we started talking about the fatty yes. foods. Yes, um, uh, with, with um, our dietitian. Yes. 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 That's right. Very important. I wouldn't say so much about that because that's her area mm -hmm. of expertise. But I can say that from the picture of the brain that I have in mind and from what I know, it's, you can think of it as a very complex 3D chemical puzzle. And you need all those bits there, and you need to deliver them at the right time, at the right place, for things to work well. If they don't get get there, and if they can't maintain themselves, that's the other important thing: the growth and the um, the functioning is one thing, but the, the 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 brain cells they need to be maintained as well. So, in between the the neurons, the brain cells, you have, oh, I think it's ten times more cells in between that just looks after the neurons, and they have to be fed as well. So it's important to keep them, not just the neurons and the functioning, but the ones who look after the neurons as well. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about how to look after the brain, how to protect it and how to keep it safe uh, so that, and, and, and really just take good care of it after this. Okay. On SAFM. Engeli Brandt is talking about brain matters with me and we want to find out more about how to look after the brain and we, we hardly ever go there. We know we all have one and I don't think, you said uh, Engeli last week that we, we don't necessarily know everything our brain can do. Uh, do scientists know? Oh, they keep on exploring, mm, but we they, they are aware of a lot and if we can, we can do psychological assessments and we can figure out quite abstract things that we know a person won't be able to do and then try to improve on that and we can we can see quite a bit on a while it's in a functional state about how it, how what's going on there while you while the person is still alive mm, yeah. um, so we can see a bit but there's a lot more to so we're constantly on. researching and, and yes, finding out yes. what what a brain is capable of um yes. how do we keep it um how do we take care of it? In fact, that's what I yes. want to ask you. Shadow, it's so important that we take care of it because other medical fields are developing equally and we take medicines and pills and we get um, pacemakers and we live longer and it's going to be very sad if you've looked after your body so well and your body is healthy mm -hmm. but you don't have the brain just to to live inside your body and enjoy mm -hmm. your life longer so we should we should think about extended aging as well mm. um one of the most the best things that we've that we've already spoken about is is exercise and the connection with blood flow mm -hmm. and the blood flow increasingly cause um the brain to make f growth factors which can sustain it and which can cause um better protein building and better growth in the, the, the neurogenesis, the growth of cells where it can still grow. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the very exercise. And, and I don't mean you have to over-exercise. You have to move to the extent that you can. You have to get something moving so that you can also to keep your blood pressure constant is mm -hmm. very important because mm -hmm. otherwise the, um, the, 
the veins and the arteries aren't capable of adjusting properly anymore. They're and not they active. They like so kind of stuck. Mm, they don't, they need to dilate be, every time. Yeah, mm -hmm. they need to be able to go open and close where they should be able to. Um, blood sugar is very important because your brain needs the right amount otherwise it's not functioning properly. I don't know if you know that feeling when your blood sugar drops and you just feel jittery and, and not right. So you know it's it's sensible to do those things. I know it sounds very conservative and cliches, but in terms of your brain, it's equally sensible to mm. to look after those things. To look after, make sure your blood pressure is is okay. Um, think about what you eat. The the blockage causing small strokes when you get older, older that causing small areas to be dysfunctional. Do you know, we know all of these things. Yes, it's nothing new. And yet, and yet we need to be reminded of the importance. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, are we getting across to just general human beings and when yeah. people go to the yeah. clinic or go to the doctor, are we, yeah. maybe we need to change the language and, and, and yes. or the marketing message and of the, keeping the, healthy. The picture of, because it's a very complicated picture and you almost, it's so difficult for us to think about it because it's so abstract. If mm. That's the only what we know about our brain is that it's, it's, it's this thing that makes our thoughts and our feelings and, and things. But if you can have a sense of appreciation, make that picture in your head of all these smells and the, the veins and the arteries. It's like, it's, it's pipes. It's it's living tissue like in any area of your life. Mm. So, you, when you talk of exercise, does does play mean exercise as well? Play is a play is exercise. There are play is something that I find very important in my. I often, almost always, advise my my clients to find somewhere where they find playful. And you know. I'm talking adults here. Yeah. Children and children, children strive to do it. It's their job when they are little to play, and it's healthy for them to play. Play for adults. When I was on the way in here this morning, I saw two adults playing on the seesaw outside <laughs> on the lawn. It was so delightful. And play is a special mode of your brain, a special couple of networks that connect while the others kind of shut down. You know, we, we're familiar with load shedding. Mm -hmm. You need to sometimes shut down the hard working area so that you can do a bit of maintenance and mm -hmm. recapturing of the others. So when you play, when you seriously, you know that feeling when you have, when you enjoy something and it's just nice, you, whether you're eating a ball or you're running on the beach or that, that, that kind of, we know that feeling. Mm -hmm. That that mode is very important. That also um, brings about a lot of brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is like your fertilizer. So it's important to find something not serious. Where if, you, if chess is your thing, play chess. If, if throwing a ball to another person is your thing, have a bit of fun. Laughing should be good as well. And laughing should be good. Hmm. Socialize, play with, with people. Um, play games. We sometimes have a games afternoon in my community. Or well, have a romp in your fun. bed at some point. Eh? Yeah. Just playful. Yeah, just, just <laughs> bring something of that child. There's, there's meaning in bringing that child in. And it de-stresses you. It gives your, the rest of your brain a bit of time to disengage. Now we've got a few seconds left in fact but yes. I, I wanted to ask hypnotherapy yes. how, how do you use, can you explain that according to what you do to the brain? I, I can do, I'll try my best to it's a difficult thing to research and we're not so sure yet but mm. I explain it to my clients like like this We, we there's this old image of 
the clock ticking and the person talking in a deep voice mm. and everything. But we know now that we do a couple of simple things and then the brain kind of gets bored and it goes into a lesser aware state. But you're still very aware of everything that's going on around you. In fact, you're almost more aware of what's going on inside of you. And then we can use a lot of imagination and therapeutic input to mold the unconscious parts of the brain and change behavior. Well, you're going to be back here, I think, uh, to, to talk about, talk the, a lot more about, about hypnotherapy because it, it is seen as an alternative yes. to, to uh, I suppose, popping pills and, and having those useful. kinds of things. It is useful. And I thank you so much, Angeli. It's, it's much better talking to you in person. Very much. And thank you so much for enlightening us, especially about that uh, the particular part of our, our bodies that we're not always familiar with yes. and, and concentrate on. And I'm sure we'll have continued conversations just to keep us healthy. But I, I'd like you to do come back and my producer will get in touch with you to talk more about hypnotherapy and how it can help us and where we can use it. Thank you so much, Shadow. Thanks Lovely for joining to talk us. To you and the listeners. Yes, thank you. Otherwise, on SAFM. Now, fibroids are non cancerous tumors that affect between 20 to 40 percent of women between the ages of 35 and 55. And it is most prevalent in the African community, affecting up to 70% of women. We've invited uh, um, Dr. Gary Sadwas, who specializes in uterine fibroid embolization. Hello, Dr. Sadwas. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, good afternoon, Shella. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for wanting to help us here as women. Do we understand why it's more prevalent in the African communities? We don't, yes, unfortunately. What we do know is that it's almost a separate disease, that African women are coming in much younger. They're coming with massive fibroids and causing a huge um, sort of bulk, um, disease burden uh, in, in the society. And obviously with the pressure to have families and, and, and careers, fibroids are getting very, very large. Um, and, and then options uh, that are quite limited um, are coming in for early for, for hysterectomies. And so what we're trying to do is, is, is promote a, uh, a microinvasive uh, therapy which has been proven overseas uh, that actually uh, kills the fibroids from inside the vessels, shrinks them. And so it's quite, quite groundbreaking, I think, for South Africa, although it's very well established in, in the U.S. and U.K. Dr. Saros, let's go back a bit. Uh, mm. w w we, where are these uh, tumors and how do they, what do they look like? How do they present themselves? What are the symptoms? So, so they're benign growth, so they call them cancers, but they, they, they don't metastasize. They're benign growth of the normal muscle wall of the uterus. And the muscle, it responds to uh, normal hormonal levels. Mm -hmm. And as the, um, as the woman gets older and sort of uh, more exposure to hormones, the fibroids or muscle layers grow in these walls of muscle. So they're effectively big balls of muscle. Um, that just get larger and larger over time. And they cause a lot of uh, problems. Uh, major problems would be bleeding, uh, bulk-related symptoms. So bleeding can be e enormous, I mean, requiring transfusion. Uh, bulk-related symptoms like pressure on the bladder or the bowel. Um, they would also cause uh, infertility, which would be a, a major issue. And um, a lot of pain. So, so these women are really suffering. 
and uh, the options uh, would start with medical therapies, things like uh, paracetamol, iron supplementation, and then go on to to uh, something like a Mirena device, which would be implanted to reduce bleeding. And then finally, one would consider uh, things like myomectomy, which is cutting out the fibroids, or hysterectomy, which is removing the entire uterus, which is not really an option for a lot of women. It isn't, especially when you're young. Um, but but do you feel constipated at all at any time, or do you have other? I mean, what, what are the pros and cons of of living with them? Is it possible to live with them, and do they get smaller? Can they disappear? Well, actually, most women don't even know they have them. So so it's an extremely common uh, um, growth, and they the most common growth in the female reproductive of tract and most women don't even know they have them so they don't actually cause a problem um, when uh, the problems uh, begin then uh, women generally attend their gynecologist who does an ultrasound and, and says look you've got fibroids now at that stage she'll be seeking uh, you know her, her, her options and and those are the women who who would contact a medical health professional looking for some sort of a, an intervention but as I say most women get away with, with no intervention at all and that's perfectly normal um, those that do need uh, intervention, then then the the options are, are fairly limited, and um, and this is and this is the the approach we're taking. Is there a relation between endometriosis and and and, and fibros? No, so they look totally separate conditions, and they can't coexist though. So you can have endometriosis and fibroids or cysts and ovaries and, and so on. And that's part of what, what's important. Is it's very important that we distinguish exactly what's wrong with the woman uh, before we go ahead and intervene because it's, it's not a therapy that catches all. It's very specific for a very specific condition and um, that's really important uh, consideration to take that one needs to be very certain what, what one's dealing with. Okay, now you, you, you specialize in, in this embolization or UFE is what you call it. And you say it's 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 unique to South Africa, or is it is it a speciality that we 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 it's an intervention that is created in South Africa? No, so it's not unique to South Africa. I'm a radiologist, so so I'm not a gynecologist. My training is in in uh, imaging and and functional and structural imaging, or uh, CTs and MRIs and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's a very specialised field in radiology, which is interventional radiology, okay. where we perform uh, microvasive surgery through the arteries. Um, and it's a very broad field, uh, you know, ranging from interventions into the liver or the brain uh, and uh, the kidneys. And this particular procedure has been developed for the uterus. So what happens is I work hand in hand with a gynecologist who's okay. made the diagnosis, and then we offer the patient and uh, this option. So it's it's a technique that was developed about 20 years ago in France, and it's since become extremely popular in, in the developed world. Uh, probably 100,000 cases a year. And so we really understand the, the effects and the benefits over a very long period of what women can, can expect when they, when they choose this option. And does this, can this procedure happen at, at public hospitals or is it at private clinics and do, do, do uh, medical aids accept it or not? So, so absolutely, I'm employed at Hodeski Hospital uh, full-time as a specialist radiologist, so I perform the procedure on, on state-funded patients. There are also uh, patients that come to me from, from privates that uh, have private funding, and actually we've managed to get most medical aid in South Africa now to fund the procedure. They're understanding the, the benefits and the you know, extreme anxiety uh, from, from a hysterectomy, and that there is a less invasive option that has a very similar effect. 
and so therefore most medical aids in South Africa are now are now finding it. So the UFE is, is is actually an alternative to surgery, right? Yeah. So it's a, as I say, it's an alternative surgery in the right woman. So I wouldn't want to be embolizing a, a cancer or, or something like that. But you know, the, the right woman who's been carefully selected by the gynecologist with with discussion with the radiologist, it's it's absolutely a, um, an alternative. Are there disadvantages to UFE? So the disadvantage really be um, a bulk related. You know, the fibroid doesn't disappear altogether. It, it shrinks a lot and therefore symptoms uh, will disappear. But the fibroids will remain. So if one has a very, very large uterus, um, when, you know, the, the, you can expect it to get a, a certain percentage smaller. So that, that sort of um, expectation has to be quite limited. But in terms, uh, so within, for instance, bleeding uh, or pain, the uh, advantage is, is as good as a hysterectomy. But as I say, if, if one has a 36-week size uterus, it's going to only uh, get smaller to a limited degree. Now that it's not painful, I mean, these fibers, they seem to be just there. Um, is there an age limit to when you should possibly not even think of of, of either UFE or uh, surgery at all? So it's a common conception that at um, uh, menopause, the fibroids sort of disappear or, or, or don't cause problems anymore. And that's not true. What actually happens is the fibroids don't grow, but they don't shrink either. Mm. So the problems that they're causing, for instance, pressure on the bladder or the bowel, will continue. And uh, these women also need need help and, and treatment. So, although bleeding will obviously reduce with with menopause, the the large bulk type symptoms will continue. So, these women are also looking for for embolization. Okay, so so if you feel your gynae, you know, has told you that you have these fibers and you're at an early age, maybe um, it's, you know you can ask them to refer you to to uh, Dr. Gary Sadwas, is it? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what we're doing is uh, we, we, we are untraining gynecologists, untraining radiologists uh, to understand the procedure, to become comfortable with it because obviously it's not primarily a gynecological procedure. And so uh, women are coming directly to us or asking their gynecologists or getting on, onto the internet and uh, seeking an alternative because I think it's quite exciting that, that they don't, you know, hysterectomies are not the first go-to solution anymore. But why? Isn't it just better? I, you know, Angelina Jolie is, is doing it and, and everybody else in, in, in prevention of cancers. Yes. Isn't, isn't it just uh, the thing to do when you've stopped having children to 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 get rid of, of, of the uterus? Because I suppose there's there's no use for it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so in Angelina Jolie's case or, or, or many other women, they're high risk for cancer. They are. And so they've had special tests. Mm. They've declared that they are they are uh, have a specific cancer risk. Mm. They've made a decision to have surgery to prevent any possible cancer in the future. But it wouldn't be true of a whole population. Okay. Okay. So when are we? Are the studies being done, and when do we expect results to find out why only in African communities and not? Is it in something we eat? Is it in something you know? Is it is it carried by the genes? 
Uh, do we know, or are there news coming up soon? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we suspect there's genetic components because it's, it, it's definitely a West African uh, thing. We see West African populations in uh, other countries too. Um, we don't exactly know which gene it is that's causing it, but it is a, a, a subject for, for international research. And studies are being done at the moment, right? Absolutely. Dr. Sadwas has been so great talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate and it. Please give us your, your, your do you have a, a website? Yeah, absolutely. Anyone who's interested can, can go to www.fibroids.co.za. No, that won't be forgotten at all. <laughs> Fibroids. Uh, or through UCT Private or Hrydeskir Hospital, and we'll, we'll direct them to, to the right uh, therapist. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Helen. Take care. Bye-bye. Dr. Sadwads, www.fibrods.co.za and uh, get yourself checked. But this uh, uterine uterine fibroid embolization sounds like a great idea uh, instead of having a whole operation. But do go online, read about it, and and we just brought it to your attention because we thought it was important. 67 blankets for Nelson Mandela Day. We're we're supposed to have 21,000 to get into the Guinea's Book of Records. And I wonder, Carolyn Stain, if we have. Carolyn? Hello. Are you celebrating? I'm celebrating. (laughs) I'm celebrating with a bottle of ice-cold water. It is so hot in here in Pretoria. Listen, take us through the morning. It sounds like it was amazing. Did we make it to to the Guinea's Book of Records? And how many blankets did we have? We won the Goodwill Cup. We are in the Guinness Book of Records for the biggest blanket in the world. How many blankets do we know? You know what? The blankets are still coming in as we speak. People, I mean, I can't believe it. You know, we the deadline being April 15th. But I mean, since the April 15th, you know, people leave things to the last minute. But I'm very, very happy because it's a tsunami of blankets. It's, it's just incredible the way the grounds were covered here at the Union Building. And I don't think we even unpacked all the boxes because there wasn't time. We had blankets coming in last night, blankets coming in this morning. So we're going to do an account um, as soon as we can take a breather. The blankets are all going back to Johannesburg. We'll go through them and we'll rebox them and send, you know, whatever amount of blankets came from Cape Town and all the areas around South Africa. They'll be transported back to those areas um, in time for when the winter really hits us by Airlink and Scutterford Van Lines. Caroline, I see, you know, it helped because you did such a great marketing job with this. I saw you on my television last night and you've been, you've become a, an actress as well. Well, you know, I've always been an actress. I've actually been sort of retired as an actress or shall I say out of work actress for quite a number of years. <laughs> but last year, Fundy Wundler contacted me regarding 67 blankets and weaving 67 blankets for Nelson Mandela Day into the script of Generations. So Generations actually gave us the platform last year where over a period of three months the storyline of 67 blankets unfolded in Generations. Mm, mm. And where to from here? We did 21,000 blankets. I think we can beat whatever record we have set because next year we, we can't stop knitting now. We have to continue because every year there is somebody who needs a blanket. So where are we going now, Carolyn? Well, we go bigger and better. As I said on Generations last night, um, you know, uh, in the script, you know, Carolyn, 21,000. My gosh, that's a lot. 
what are you going to do next year? And I said, 67,000 blank, 67, blankets. Wow. Um, why not? There are enough people in this country, we can do it. So um, let's try for 67,000 blankets next year. Just putting that on record. Well, 67,000 it shall be. Did we get any blankets from other parts of the world? We did, in fact. We got from India. Um, we got from Cyprus. We got from Saudi Arabia, of all places. Wow. Um, we got... Probably about 20 blankets from, you know, different countries. But essentially the blankets that, that we received were made in South Africa by, by people who live in South Africa. Well, thank you for starting this because it's catching on and it's the most beautiful campaign. And congratulations to you once more. And uh, let's keep South Africa warm and continue knitting. Well done, Carolyn Stain. Thank you so much, and thank you for your support and for your beautiful blankets that you gave us. And um, start knitting again, Shadow. I've already. Every, I've every, already. Um, <laughs> good wool we can get for our upcoming Guinness Book of Records next year. I've already started. Thank you so much. We just need wool, 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 and more wool. That's the thing. Um, we need to do a call out for wool again. One of these days, perhaps I can come on your show and we can do a call out for wool. Congratulations. Well done to you and your team. Thank you so much, Shadow. Okay, bye-bye. South Africa. Yes, yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's uh, Carolyn Stan. Gee, we made it. Yeah, I didn't think we'd make 21,000 blankets. Uh, and it seems like we've gone over if they still, they're still arriving. And I've started uh, crocheting again And because after the first blanket, you get hooked. You get hooked. So I'm a happy hooker.